This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. The Christians, allies in the battle against Satan and his demons. There is nothing more basic than the fight between good and evil. Everything else in life hinges on the monumental struggle between God and Satan. Indeed, most people define their lives based on which side they embrace. Until recently, Satan's favorite tactic was to convince people that he did not exist. This turned on the idea that Satan does not need for people to swear allegiance to him. He only needs to prevent people from following God. However, in the past few years, Satan has made himself more prominent. That tactical shift has caused many people to take the power of evil far more seriously. Since COVID, there has been a strong revival of interest in exorcisms and the priests that do that work. In his essay, The Exorcist Reveals the Strongest Weapons in the War on Satan, Edwin Benson reviews a new book on the subject, Diary of an American Exorcist, by Monsignor Stephen Rossetti. America is a modern-day spiritual battlefield in which the influence of Satanism grows with each passing day. Satanic objects are readily available from retailers who once would have avoided selling them. Satanists have hosted gatherings at places as diverse as Harvard University and Oklahoma City. In 2014, secularists attempted to have a 40-foot-high World War I memorial in Bladensburg, Maryland, removed because it is in the shape of a cross. Now, Satanists are trying to claim it as their own. Many participants did not correspond to the archetypical image of figures in black. Satanism is, unfortunately, becoming mainstream. In light of these developments, the Church must urgently use her ancient tool to fight the demons, exorcism. For those who seek an introduction to the practice, Monsignor Stephen Rossetti's new book, Diary of an American Exorcist, Demons, Possession, and the Modern-Day Battle Against Ancient Evil, is a fine place to start. Monsignor Rossetti is the president of the St. Michael Center for Spiritual Renewal and an associate professor at the Catholic University of America. In addition to being an exorcist, he is a licensed psychologist. His long experience and academic background might lead readers to expect a relatively dry tome. However, this is not the case. It is a very readable book, full of insights and wisdom. Indeed, demons do exist, and there are many of them. The author notes that, quote, the Italian priest and mystic Padre Pio, 1887-1968, said, There are so many demons that if they were capable of assuming a form as tiny as a grain of sand, they would block out the sun. Unquote. Demons despise all humans, even those who dedicate themselves to Satan's service. Monsignor Rossetti explains, quote, Demons are not your friends. They are vicious sadists and enjoy making people suffer. The demons also hate each other. In hell, no one thinks of another's good. Satan would sacrifice even demons under him in hell just for his own pleasure. Unquote. What characterizes demons is their overwhelming pride. The same pride that caused Lucifer to utter the momentous phrase, non servium, I will not serve exists in his underlings. Sharing angelic nature, they possess knowledge beyond human intelligence. 
This superior position unleashes in them boundless vanity and narcissism when dealing with human affairs. While superior in nature, they do not possess wisdom because they cannot receive divine grace. Thus, the experienced exorcist, always relying upon the power of God, can often manipulate them into leaving or engaging in self-destructive behaviors. Monsignor Rossetti provides many examples of this ability. Most so-called New Age spiritual practices like yoga and reiki find their source in satanic activity. They may appear comforting, life-affirming, or cleansing. They are sometimes presented as routes to self-discovery. Such appearances are deceitful and dangerous. Quote, The answer is simple. If you are not calling on the one true God and Jesus his Son, or the Blessed Virgin Mary, the saints, or St. Michael and the good angels, then there is only one other spiritual option, and that is Satan. Unquote. Monsignor Rossetti relates the story of one of his spiritual directees who was ill. She admitted that a friend had given her so-called healing crystals to aid her recovery. Instead, she grew steadily sicker. Monsignor Rossetti told her to bring him the crystals, which he blessed and then disposed of appropriately. The woman immediately began to recover. Quote, Using crystals to ward off demons, cast spells, or invoke occult healing clearly falls under the prohibition of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 2116 and 2117. This is sinful, occult behavior that creates openings for demons. Unquote. Any form of spirituality not firmly rooted in Catholicism gives Satan an invitation to enter into a person's life. A conscious decision to sin also serves as an invitation to the devil. Quote, If given an opening, either through human sin or human invitation, the demons are able to possess people and places. Unquote. Demonic influence is not an excuse for sin. Any sin gives Satan a degree of control over the sinner's life. However, the devil can never force persons to sin against their will. Individuals are always responsible for their actions. Quote, Our guardian angel inspires us to do good. Demons tempt us to do evil. But both the angels and the demons have no control over human will and freedom. In the end, we alone are responsible for the choices that we make, unquote. Even relatively minor sins can limit one's effectiveness against the devil. Monsignor Rossetti tells of an unexpectedly strong physical attack he received from a possessed person. The sudden attack caused him to lose his temper. From that point on, the demons no longer responded to Monsignor Rossetti's prayers. He then recognized his error. Quote, I stopped the session, went into the other room with one of the priests, and confessed the sin of losing my temper. The other priest absolved me, and we went back into the session. Once again, the demon started to react to the prayers. Unquote. The book's great strength is that it explains its content simply and clearly. 
Monsignor Rossetti avoids the technical terms that would puzzle the average reader. The author aims to inform, not to convince the reader that he is especially wise or learned. Unfortunately, the book lacks the flow that a more organized text would offer. A particular theme may run through two or three of these brief chapters, which seldom exceed two pages. The lack of an index amplifies this weakness. While such considerations do not decrease the overall readability of Diary of an American Exorcist, they do limit its usefulness should one wish to refer to or share some point later. However, the book's overall readability more than compensates for these faults. Monsignor Rossetti does an excellent service for those who want to know more about the nature of the spiritual warfare that all serious Catholics face during these trying times. One of the greatest tools against Satan is confidence in God and His Mother, Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary. While this is true on our personal day-to-day lives, it is also true of great world events. A superb example of the power of confidence occurred in 1571. His Royal and Imperial Highness, Prince Bertrand of Orléans-Braganza, relates those events in his essay, How Lepanto Teaches Us to Confide in Our Lady. Originally written in His Highness's original language, Portuguese, this essay was translated and updated on November 2, 2021. When considering the present chaos today, the first word that comes to my mind is Lepanto. We need to remember Lepanto because this great battle is a lesson for our time. This is the 450th anniversary of the Battle of Lepanto. It was a famous sea battle off the coast of Greece on October 7, 1571. The outnumbered forces of Christendom faced the mighty Turkish fleet. The battle is both similar to and different from the fight of our days. Looking at the crisis inside society and the church, we can see parallels. The future of Christianity depended upon the results of Lepanto. Today, Our Catholic future depends upon our fight to defend what little remains of the faith against the revolution. The hatred that drives the left's fight against the remnants of Christian civilization today is the same hatred that sought to destroy Christendom back in the 16th century. In Lepanto, the defenders of the church had to fight indifference, inertia, and even betrayal by those who put their interests and pleasures ahead of those of Christ. Today we also face apathy, lethargy, and betrayal by those who have the most to lose from not fighting. There are also differences between Lepanto and us. The biggest difference is that the enemies of Christianity today are much greater than those at Lepanto. The enemies are everywhere, inside all fields of society. As Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira says in his magisterial book, Revolution and Counter-Revolution, we face a revolution that is universal, one, total, dominant, and processive. And our forces are much, much smaller. We are a counter-revolution that is not proportional to the dominating enemy. We do not have the overwhelming power and clout that the other side has. The second difference is that the heroes of Lepanto enjoyed the praise and applause of Catholics everywhere, 
everyone was praying for their success. However, we face opposition both inside and outside the church. We must confront the world, the flesh, and the devil in all their revolutionary manifestations. We face ridicule, indifference, and scorn. Human respect causes people to worry about what others think of them. Thus, people refuse to protest blasphemy or pray in the public square because they fear public scorn. As a result, Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira said that it takes much more courage today to go to the hostile streets than it did to fight amid the glorious acclaim of Lepanto. A third difference is that the heroes at Lepanto did not have to face the severe crisis inside the church. They had at their head a saint. Pope St. Pius V organized the forces against Islam. What a difference from our situation today. Today we face the persecution of the shepherds who should be protecting us as we fight against the church's greatest enemies, including Islam. We face the tragedy of shepherds that help the cause of the other side against us. Never has the church faced such a situation. The plight is why we must look to Lepanto, because it has a lesson for us in the face of impossible situations. This final outcome will give us the courage to forge ahead. Consider what happened at the Battle of Lepanto. The two forces met and then interlocked. The sea became one enormous floating battlefield, with soldiers fighting and dying on the decks of ships. Modern progressivist Catholic sources do not mention a crucial fact that happened at the height of the battle. However, some ancient Muslim sources do tell of an extraordinary event. Suddenly, when least expected, these Muslims reported seeing a lady dressed as a queen in the sky, gazing at them with such a terrifying look that they lost courage and fled. Because the Catholic fleet was outnumbered, the outcome of the battle was in doubt. It all seemed lost, and the Catholic cause was in danger of being overwhelmed. Their situation was desperate, but still they fought on. That fact has a valuable lesson for us. When everything seems lost, we need to trust in Our Lady. We serve the same queen that won the battle at Lepanto. We can win today if we trust in her. She can turn the most desperate situations into victory. She will turn our present chaos into the triumph of her immaculate heart as promised at Fatima. Commenting on the Lepanto victory, Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira said that the greatest heroism of those fighting at Lepanto was not fighting the Turks. That took a lot of courage, but all battles take courage. In his opinion, the greatest heroism of these Catholics was the heroism of believing that the battle would be won by Our Lady when everything seemed lost. The Marquis of Santa Cruz, a Spanish admiral, took a statue of Our Lady of the Rosary from his hometown of Granada to the Battle of Lepanto. He prayed that she would intervene miraculously in the battle against the Turks as she had helped convert the Moors in Granada after its reconquest in 1492. His prayer was heeded. 
the victory at Lepanto saved Europe. That act of confidence was an act of fidelity in which the interior voice of grace invited each one to confide and pray that she would give the victory. And she gave a spectacular victory beyond all expectations. The noted Catholic thinker said that sometimes, quote, the good cause throughout history finds itself in a situation similar to the Catholic heroes at Lepanto. Humanly speaking, everything seems lost, but Our Lady puts a hope in our souls that she will win the battle for the greater glory of God, unquote. True heroism means trusting in this voice. We must be faithful to this voice of grace that brings us all together here. When tempted not to believe, we must reply, The worse it becomes, the closer we are to her intervention. Our Lady does not lie. The voice that speaks within me is her voice. When discouraged by the intensity of the fight around you, think of Lepanto. Listen to the voice of grace and go ahead. Believe in our modern Lepanto, a battle a million times more desperate, which only increases our certainty of victory. While we place ultimate confidence in God and Our Lady, we have other allies in the war against Satan. I refer, of course, to the myriad of angels that surround us. Among those angels is Archangel Gabriel, the same angel who appeared to Our Lady and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. See Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 39. Plinio Correa de Oliveira, the founder of the international TFP movement, took great inspiration from St. Gabriel, the archangel. On March 24, 1965, he explained that inspiration in his essay entitled, Understanding St. Gabriel by His High Mission. This reading has been translated and adapted for broadcast without his revision. Martyrology says that God sent St. Gabriel the Archangel to announce the mystery of the Incarnation of the Word. We can have some notion of who St. Gabriel is precisely by the nature of his mission. Since the angels have a much more elevated nature than ours, their individual tasks are related to their nature and one cannot distribute tasks among them as arbitrarily as among men. By nature, some angels do things while other angels do something else. On the other hand, we cannot say that a man is a typist by nature or an ambassador by nature. At a time of difficulty, an ambassador is also a typist. In a pinch, a typist with great personal talents could wind up being a good ambassador. So this which is not as clear-cut among us, is more precise in the angelic nature. We are not dealing here with tasks exactly like the Annunciation. They are tasks of another kind, of the angel's position and function in heaven before God. But there is a more important reason why the mission given to this archangel of the Annunciation corresponds to his nature. And so... By the mission given to him, we can deduce something about the glory, virtues, and splendor of this heavenly prince. What can we say about his mission? First, 
It is the highest, key mission in the whole history of mankind, as this angel was put in charge of announcing to Our Lady that the fullness of time had come. The reign of the devil was coming to an end. The kingdom of evil would be trampled underfoot. Humanity would be redeemed, and the gates of heaven would open for mankind. He was the angel in charge of asking Our Lady's consent for this proposal, the angel in charge of announcing to Our Lady the mystery of virginal maternity. This angel carried the most important message ever to have existed in the history of humanity. This is something of enormous importance. Imagine the following. You know that, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, the stars are moved by the angels for the glory of God. Let us imagine the grandeur of an angel who keeps moving, for example, the whole Milky Way. What importance! What a function such an angel must have! Now then, what is it to move a speck of stardust such as the Milky Way in comparison with moving the soul of Our Lady, acting upon the soul of Our Lady, being the carrier of that message and obtaining her adhesion? You understand that it has no comparison with anything. Hence, you understand the excellence of this angel's mission. On the other hand, a messenger's importance is gauged not only by the nature of the message, but by the importance of the one who sent it and that of its recipient. A king, having a very important message to send, does it through a nobleman of his court. A message of little importance to a common person is sent by an employee or a housemaid with return receipt signature requested. Now then, our Lady was the Queen of Heaven and Earth, the masterpiece of God, destined to be His Mother. You understand how only a Most High Angel would be chosen for that mission, and through this we can see His grandeur. We could deduce something about this angel's psychology from two very important notes very much present in Fra Angelico's paintings of the Annunciation. First, there is a very curious sense of hierarchy. When the angel spoke to Our Lady, she was still not the Mother of God. She became so from the moment she accepted the communication and the Holy Spirit acted in her. And the angel, who was superior to her by nature, was addressing a person inferior to him and inviting her to become his queen. On the other hand, the message he was taking showed such a predilection of God for Our Lady that it was not at all proportional to him. So then, Fra Angelico paints the angel showing such respect and veneration for Our Lady, as if taking the superiority of his own nature and lowering it before the grandeur of Our Lady's mission. And something extraordinary. Our Lady also speaks to the angel with her head inclined and with all respect because she is receiving a message from God and because, as a person, 
She is inferior to the angel. Note the mutual superiorities in which our ladies end up being much greater than the angels. But this scene shows a world of mutual respect between Our Lady and the angel, which indicates quite well the sense of hierarchy shown on the occasion, a sense of hierarchy which is the opposite of Satan's non-servium. Many saw that the devil refused to serve because he did not want to recognize the incarnate word as the object of his adoration or to recognize a mere human creature as his queen. This appears to have been a point that polarized his whole rebellion against God, motivated by pride. St. Gabriel did the opposite. He went to take a message which, from a certain standpoint, placed the angelic kingdom below the human kingdom, and that elevated above him something that was below him. And he took the message, filled with veneration and love, placed before his new queen, so inferior to him by nature, he bowed to her as the most respectful and venerating subject. You perceive the high sense of discipline, the high sense of hierarchy that the painting shows, a very marked sense of counter-revolution. You can yet add another aspect. He who is about to address the Virgin of Virgins to tell her that she will be a mother and continue to be a virgin makes such a glorification of virginity that it is a kind of masterpiece of purity to show that our Lord, facing this immense fact of the Incarnation, decided to violate all the rules of nature to save Our Lady's perfect virginity and give mankind a new glory by making making her the spouse of the Holy Ghost, so that her son would be the son of no man. This message is one of the greatest glorifications of chastity, and you will understand that an angel like this has a special link with purity. Now then, humility and love of purity are the two pillars of the counter-revolution. Pride and love of sensuality, on the contrary, are the pillars of the revolution. You understand how the old, proud, and sensual serpent was trampled on in that act, and how St. Gabriel thus appears trampling the devil underfoot no less than St. Michael when he expelled him from heaven. A painter who at that instant was to paint St. Gabriel kneeling before Our Lady and stepping on the devil's head would paint something profoundly real. And so you understand how many reasons we have to ask St. Gabriel to give us these two graces, the grace of the sense of hierarchy, of love of superiority, of liking the fact that others are more than we are, even if the one who is more than we are is inferior from several standpoints, and to have an unstained taste for purity, purity as a principle, as a moral value, and not only as a physical thing, a spotless taste for purity that necessarily has some traits of this archangel's specific sanctity. The saints and angels are called to give mankind the things whereby they glorify God the most. 
St. Francis gives us the spirit of poverty. St. Ignatius gives us that sovereign, inflexible, and incomparable logic of the spiritual exercises. St. Benedict gives us a genuine taste for liturgy and for true contemplation. That which they have the most, they give the most. St. Gabriel reflects these virtues to such a high degree that he is made to obtain these virtues for us. Let us, therefore, ask him for them. This concludes The Christian's Allies in the Battle Against Satan and His Demons. Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all the previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed or recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2021 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.